Part Three of Venus Enslaved by Manly Wade Wellman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part Three. He may have fainted. Later on, he could not be sure. But his next clear memory was of lying in one of the inflated paddle boats in which sat Skygors with weapons. There also sat Dispro watching him intently. Dispro, muttered Planter, they got you too. No, they didn't get me too, mimicked Dispro. I'm in the racket with them, understand? Planter sat up, and two Skygores half drew their weapons to warn him. I thought you were captured, he mumbled. Not me. I do things neatly. Showed I could be an enemy, but would rather be a friend. You butted in, killing two of them. Someone says you got two others earlier today. They're holding you a prisoner, and probably you'll be killed. Planter studied Dispro. Easy does it, he said softly. Better not act as if you know me. You might get mixed up in— No chance, snarled Dispro. I told them you were an enemy of mine. I'm not mixed up in anything. Planter subsided. Plainly Dispro was able to take care of himself. Plainly Planter must do the same with no help from anyone. He wondered about Mara with a sudden chilled pang. The brave girl had guided him here, despite her knowledge that Skygore country was dangerous. She had done it to please him because she liked him. He wondered what had happened to her. He lounged under the Skygore guns, thinking of Mara. In his mind he saw the light of her steady blue eyes, felt the touch of her slim, strong hand. His heart quickened. "'Hang it,' he told himself. "'You aren't in love with her. She's a savage, and you only met her a few hours ago. You're only worried because you feel responsibility.' But he knew he lied. The boat brought them to an entrance hold at water level in a large cylindrical structure. Dispro swaggered inside with his new friends. A guard prodded Planter with his pistol barrel to follow. As Planter obeyed, he saw behind him another boat, in which rode Max with all the baggage he had been carrying. Skygors sat with Max, plainly on good terms. Max saw Planter, too, and his face twitched and scowled as in an effort to rationalize. Inside he found himself in a large bare room with dry rough-cast walls. Dispro waited there, with a Skygore whose elaborate chain-mail suggested that he was an officer. "'Dispro!' boomed this individual cordially. "'You say this is your enemy. What shall be done to him?' "'I'll leave that to you, Fra,' answered Dispro, with a grand manner of bestowing gifts. You have your own ways of handling such problems. I am content." Another Skygore approached, and the officer discussed the case in deafening Skygore language. Then, facing Planter, he resumed English. "'Your life is forfeit, but you look strong. Perhaps you can prove yourself worth keeping. Join the slaves.' He struck his webbed hands together. A human man ran in. Like Mara and the other crossbow girls, this man was blonde, but the resemblance ended there. 
He wore loose, brief garments of elastic fabric, no weapons, and his face was mild and servile. Fra pointed at Planter. Below with him, put him in the spring mill. The slave beckoned and led Planter away, studying him curiously. Planter spoke at once. You have many friends here in slavery? Perhaps I can get you out of this. Out of this? The echo was horrified. To starve in the jungle? Marry, sir, art mad or sick to say such a thing? Come, down these stairs. Planter obeyed his new companion. They went down a dim stone stairway lighted with green bulbs. From below came sounds of mechanical action. "'What's your name?' Planter asked the slave. "'Glonfil, and you?' "'David Planter. How many slaves are here? Human slaves?' Two hundred, belike. Half as many as the Skygors.' That was a new thought to Planter. On earth races numbered in the millions, here by the scores. Of course, this might not be the only Skygor city. Mara had mentioned the difficulty of exploring any distance from this habitable pole. For a moment he felt the thirst for knowledge. Wasn't this world as large as his own planet? Might it not have continents, oceans, mountain ranges, whole genera of strange species, perhaps other civilizations and climates? Then he remembered he was a slave, and a booming voice drove the memory home. "'Below, men!' thundered a Skygorgard. "'You are not fed and lodged to be idle.' "'Pardon,' mumbled Glanfil, and quickened his descent. Planter followed, beating down a rage of battle at the rough shouting of the guard. The underwater levels were not flooded, though the walls were gloomily damp. Planter found himself in a great rambling chamber, bordered and cumbered with machines at which men toiled. Glonfil was presenting him to a Skygor, who made notes with a crayon-like instrument on a board. "'No?' he questioned in his earth-dulling roar. "'Whence came he?' Never stop to answer. Show him how to work your machine. Glonfil led him to a cylindrical appliance against a wall. It had a multitude of levers and push-buttons, and light shone in its glassed forefront. Most of these were green, but one turned red as they approached. Glonfil pushed a button and turned a lever. The light switched to green again. The red means a faulty rhythm somewhere in the light system explained Glonfil. Fix it by manipulating the buttons and levers near the red lights. Yes, so. It takes not skill, but wary watching. Planter took over. He found time to observe the rest of the slave-teamed basement. Some operated a treadmill, others wound at keys or turned cranks. The machines were strange, but not mysterious. He judged that they pumped, elevated, and modeled. Glonfil answered his questions. "'Tis the Skygore method. We supply power by our labors. Springs, levers, such things are worked." "'Springs and levers?' repeated Planter. "'Is this a clockwork town? Why not fuel, steam?' Glonfil shook his head. "'We men make small fires, but the Skygores not. Their nature is moist. They want such things not. As you say, 
clockwork is the use of this place. If you refuse to do this slave work, what then? Glanfil shrugged and shuddered. Oh, if the sin is not too great, you go to a level below this. Men drag upon a capstan to wind the mightiest of springs for town works. Like rowing in a galley, Planter summed up wrathfully. But if the sin is pretty sinful? A Skygore overseer came close, saw that Planter had learned the simple machine, and called Glanfil to some other task. Planter worked until such time as a raucous voice bade another shift take over. Marshalled with twenty or more slaves, he was led away to a musty vault, one side of which was lined with cell-like sleeping quarters. Here was a brick oven, perhaps those in the nest were designed from it, over which two sturdy women toiled at cookery. As the slaves entered, these women quickly passed out stone plates and metal spoons. Into these were poured generous portions of hot appetizing stew. "'They feed you well, these Skygores,' commented Planter to Glanville, as he finished his plateful. "'Tis their fashion. They seek to make us happy.' Planter went to the kettles for another helping of stew and ate more slowly. "'I'd rather eat in freedom,' he commented, half to himself. "'Freedom?' echoed Glanville, as if scornful. "'We hear of what freedom can be. Scant commons, rough beds, danger and damp. Better to toil honestly in farewell.' "'Aye,' said a bigger slave with a spade beard of reddish tinge. Did not the Skygores help our first father, stranger, as now they help you? I've heard otherwise, Planter rejoined. It seemed there was a fight. The men were licked, the survivors made captive and put to work. That's what happened to me. Best be silent, murmured Glanfil, bending close. That talk makes few friends. Planter changed the subject, asking various questions about Venus. His companions eyed him strangely as he displayed his ignorance, but made cheerful answer. The noise that had overwhelmed him was a vibrating metal instrument, they said. Their description made it sound like an organ of sorts. As he had surmised, it was always in some sort of operation, and could be turned on full force if need be. The Skygores, with senses meant to endure great noises, were not hurt by such a din but human ears would be tortured if not quickly closed. Our labors give the instrument power, informed Glanville rather proudly. Planter thought over his experiences of the day. These Skygores have many human devices, he ventured. Aye, that, agreed the big-bearded one. In the first days our fathers brought many articles which the Skygores developed and used. That's what I'm driving at. Planter broke in, forgetting Glanfield's counsel to be cautious. They not only enslaved you, they took your ideas and improved themselves. I'll wager they were savages to begin with, and you're actually grateful for the chance to crawl at their big webbed feet. This world belongs to the Skygors, spoke up one of the women as she washed dishes. Without them we would be shelterless and foodless like the weaklings they drove forth. Planter refrained to tell what he knew of the crossbow girls. Plainly, he was up against an attitude of content from which it would be hard to free his new companions. 
harder than to free them from guards and prison walls. He slept that night in a hammock-like bed, and next day worked at the machine. His toil was long, but not sapping, and food was good. Once a skygore came to take his clothing, shoes, and possessions, giving him a sleeveless shirt and shorts instead. Otherwise he was not bothered by the masters of the city. For days, perhaps ten, he followed this routine, masking his feeling of revolt. Then came a Skygor messenger to lead him away along underwater corridors to someone who had sent. At the end of the journey he entered an office. There sat the person he least expected to see, Dispro. "'You rat!' Planter began, but Dispro waved the insult aside. "'Don't be a bigger ape than usual,' he sniffed. "'I've been able to do you a favor." "'You didn't do me much of one when I was captured,' reminded Planter. "'How could I?' argued Dispero, in the charming fashion he could sometimes achieve. "'I was only on probation. If I'd tried to help you then we'd both be dead, instead of both on top of this Turkish bath world. Sit down.' They took stools on opposite sides of a heavy wooden table. "'Planter,' How would you like to help me run Venus? You're going to get away from these Skygors? Again Dispro waved the words away. Why should I? I'll run them too. Look, we landed safely, didn't we? Observations on Earth will show that, won't they? Right, agreed Planter, mystified. There'll be more ships coming to look for us and maybe set up a colony. That's it. We'll ambush those ships. Ambush? repeated Planter sharply. Losing your mind, Dispro? No, I'm only thinking for all of us. Ships will come, I say, loaded with supplies, valuables, all sorts of things. We can overwhelm them as they land. Some of their crews will join us. The others can be rubbed out. And the law can't touch us, Planter, not for a minute. "'What are you driving at?' Planter demanded. "'I'm the law,' said Dispro, tapping his chest. "'Just now I string with the Skygors. "'Later I may knock them off. "'But anyway, I'm the commander of the first expedition to land on Venus. "'I have a right to take possession in my own name.' "'He got up, his voice rising clear and proud. "'Possession! Like Columbus! Not of a continent!' of a whole world. Planter, leaning forward on his stool, clutched the edge of the table so strongly that his knuckles whitened. And what, he asked slowly and quietly, do you want me to do? I'm coming to that, said Dispro, smiling with superior craftiness. You're going to help me solidify these loud-mouthed skygores. They hold me for a slave, reminded Planter harshly, for he did not like the life as well as Glonfil and the others who toiled along the clockwork. But Dispero brushed the complaint aside. That's because they don't know what I know. Your lady friends, I mean. Planter glanced up sharply. Dispero chuckled. <laughs> I talk a lot with these Skygors. Not bad fellows if you muffle your ears. 
Anyway, they tell me about a herd of wild girls that bushwhacks them constantly, and which they hope I'll find and destroy. Lately, some of the girls have been scouting around, yelling for something. The Skygores have the best English, and don't know what the words mean. But I do. Those girls are calling your name David Planter. Mara had come back for him then. She braved the terrors of the Skygore fortress, trying to get him back. Planter felt warmth around his heart. He faced Dispro and shook his head. "'I don't know what you're talking about,' he said. "'You must be getting drunk with your Skygore friends.' "'They don't have any kind of liquor, only some sort of sniff powder I wouldn't touch. "'And you're a cheerful liar, Planter. "'You know all about those girls, and you're probably good friends with them. "'Don't be a fool. I'm offering you a slice of my empire.' Empire? echoed Planter, honestly scornful. You really think you'll go through with this idea of grabbing Venus for yourself? I know all the angles. Back on Earth I was boss of quite an organization. And ended up in jail buying your way out by gambling your life on this voyage. Planter rushed those words into speech, but made them clear, biting, and passionate. You're a case for brain doctors, not jail wardens. I don't know why I listen to you. I know why, hurled back Dispro. Because I'm already quite a pet among these Skygores. I could kill you or save you. Meanwhile, we're changing the subject. I want you to lead me to these wild girls, and after we're solid with them, a bunch of Skygores will come, nothing doing. In other words, you now admit that there is such a group, and you'll take Orter's planters. I'm still chief of the expedition. Planter shook his head. I can give you arguments on that. You betrayed the trust of the Foundation back home. That lets you out. You don't have authority over me. He rose abruptly. Send me back to the basement, Dispro. Dispro, too, jumped up. He held something in his hand. It was a gun, not a Skygore curiosity, but a terrestrial-made automatic. You don't get off that easy, Planter. I need you badly, and you need your insides badly. Knuckle down before I blow them out. Planter smiled broadly and rather sunnily. Suddenly he lifted a toe. He kicked over the table against and upon Dispro. Down went the elegant, lean figure, and a bullet sang over Planter's head as he dived in to grapple and fight. Dispro, the lighter of the two, was wondrously agile. Almost before he struck the concrete floor, he was wriggling clear of the table. Planter's weight threw him flat again, but he struck savage, choppy blows with the pistol he still held. Half-dazed, Planter could not get a tight grip, and Dispro got away and up. Planter, shaking the mist from his battered head, staggered after him, caught the weapon wrist, and wrung the gun away. It clanged down at their feet. "'All right, Planter, if you want it that way,' muttered Dispro savagely, and took a long stride backward. He got time to fall on guard like the accomplished boxer he was.' 
Planter sprang after him. Dispero met him with a neat left jab, followed it with a hook that bobbed Planter's head back, and easily slid away from a powerful but clumsy return. When Planter faced him again he stood out of danger, smiling and lifting a little on his toes. "'How do you like it?' he laughed. "'Didn't know I was a fancy Dan, eh?' Planter charged again. Dispro slipped right and left tries at his jaw, returned a smart peg to Planter's belly, and then let the bigger man blunder past and fetch up against a wall. Planter was forced to lean there a nauseous moment, and Dispro hooked him hard under the ear. A moment later Planter was crouching and backing away, sheltering his bruised head with crossed arms. He heard Dispro laugh again. "'This is fun,' pronounced Dispero. "'I've been taught by professionals, Planter. Good ones. Not washouts like poor Max.' Planter clinched at last, but Dispero's wiry body spun loose. The two faced each other, and Planter felt some of his strength and wit come back. He realized that he was being beaten. He must change tactics.' He remembered what he could of fist science and abruptly crouched. Again he advanced, but not in a rush. Inch by inch he shuffled in, head sunk between his shoulders, hands lifted to strike or defend. "'You look like a turtle,' mocked Dispero, and tried a left. It glanced off Planter's forehead, and Planter sidled to his left, away from Dispero's more dangerous right. Bobbing and weaving lower still, he baffled more efforts to sting him. A moment later Dispro was backing, and Planter had him in a corner, close in. He struck, not for Dispro's adroit head, but for his body. His left found the pit of the stomach, just within the apex of the shallow inverted V, where ribs slope down from breastbone. Dispro grunted in pain, and Planter put all his shoulders behind a short, heavy peg under the heart. Again in the belly, twice, thrice, he felt Dispro sag. A hook glanced from Planter's jowl, but it was weak and shaky. Dispro managed to slip out of the corner, but Planter was now the stronger and surer. Across the room he followed his enemy, playing ever for the body. Kidneys, abdomen, heart. Dispero was hanging on. His breath came in choking grunts. Planter struggled loose and sank one clean, hard right uppercut. Dispero spun off his feet, fell across the overturned table, and lay moaning and gasping. <sighs> Had enough? Planter challenged. Dispero was crawling on the floor, trying to grab the pistol. Planter sprang in, stamped on Dispero's knuckles. Dispro had only the strength and breath for one scream and collapsed. Abruptly Skygores entered, Skygores with hard eyes and leveled weapons. What? demanded one. Is this? Dispro, helped to his shaky feet, pointed at Planter. He... he refused. He managed to wheeze out. Dispro nodded and Planter felt a sudden rush of joy. They would drive him forth as they used to drive forth unprofitable female slaves, and he would find the nest again, and Mara. He was being herded along a passage upstairs. 
The Skygores who guarded him kept their weapons close against his ribs. No escape, they promised him balefully. He wondered at that, but only a little. Now they had brought him out upon an open, railed bridge between two buildings. Below was water, above the thick Venusian mist. Jump! A Skygore bade him. I need no second chance, Planter replied breezily and dived in. He still wore the scanty costume of a slave, and it allowed him to strike out easily for the edge of the pool. Behind him the Skygores were discussing him, but in their own guttural tongue which he could not understand. As he swam he studied the city beneath the water. He meant to come back and assail that city sometime, and there must be worthwhile secrets to note. For instance, he was now aware that this pool was artificial. He made out the sluices and gates of a large dam. To one side was a spacious submarine chamber that must be the clockwork-jammed cellar where his erstwhile companions, the slaves, worked. But something else was under the water, something that moved darkly but had arms and legs, though it was as vast as an elephant. It was approaching him swiftly, knowingly. Now he knew why he had been told, with such a voice of doom, to jump into the water. End of Part 3